You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Now imagine for a minute that you just got a, a brand new iPhone or a Samsung Galaxy if you're into that. And uh, you get it out of the box, you get it all set up, and then right before you go to use it, you take one of those old spirally cords that you used to have on landlines, you find a way to attach it to your phone, then you find an old phone jack in your house that doesn't even work anymore, and you, uh, you plug it in, and then you don't ever take that cell phone anywhere. You only use it as far as the cord uh, could take you. That'd be pretty foolish, wouldn't it be? Imagine loading up uh, your whole family uh, in your a minivan and the bags are packed and, and everyone's sort of crammed in there and the kids are buckled into their uh, car seats and the car top carrier is full of all of your luggage and then you're all set to go and then you uh, bring a team of horses and hitch them up to your front bumper and uh, try to get those horses to uh, pull your van uh, out of your cul-de-sac and out onto uh, Highway 410. That, that would be a very foolish, wouldn't it be? Uh, it would be foolish to take a, a ballpoint pen and to, uh, before you go to, to, to write a note, you dip it into an inkwell. Some of you are thinking, I don't know what an inkwell is. That's why I started with this talking about the iPhone. That was for you, this is for others. Dipping a ballpoint pen into an inkwell and then trying to uh, write a letter. That would be foolish. It would be foolish to take something that is new and that is better and try to use that thing in a way that is old and that is worse, right? You're, to, to, to put these preconceived um, limitations on something that really offers you more freedom is quite foolish. That's why Galatians chapter 3 begins with these words from Paul. He says, oh foolish Galatians. You see, he was looking at the way that they were uh, living out their Christian life, the way that they were piecing together what Jesus had done for them, and the way that they were trying to live out their Christian life was very foolish because they were taking something that was old and trying to, trying to do this new thing that God had done uh, through their old way of thinking and their old way of living. And, and Paul's response to that was, you guys are just being foolish. He calls them foolish Galatians. And so open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. If you don't have a Bible or ushers are coming up and down the aisle, just put up your hand or holler at them. It'll make a lot more sense if you're able to follow along today. What Paul is trying to communicate again and again in the, in the, uh, in the book of Galatians is that Christianity is not about achieving, it's about receiving. It's not about our works, but it's about God's grace and us receiving his grace through faith in his son. Take a look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That means who's cast a spell on you? Who's kind of hypnotized you to make you think that, that faith is not enough, that Jesus' cross was not powerful enough to save you from your sin. 
And so we're going to be uh, studying uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, all the way down uh, to verse uh, 14. And so I'm going to pray for us now. I'm going to pray that God would set us free from old patterns of thinking or incorrect ways of living out this grace that has been offered to us. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would come to us right now. And God, I pray for strength and weakness. And I pray for a clarity of communication by your spirit. And I pray that you would do great and awesome things as your living and active word, as it's open, as it's read, as it's taught, Lord. There are some things that we need to learn, so we pray that you would teach us. God, there are some hurts that we're still carrying, so I pray that you would heal us. God, there are some things in us that we know uh, need to change, so we pray that you would transform us. And God, there are some things that we need to believe, and so we pray that you would give us faith. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work and move us so powerfully in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So uh, Paul's pretty animated, just to give you a bit of a warning in chapter three. He, he's, he's pretty, this is the, the most really intense that he's going to get uh, in, the, in the whole letter. He starts by calling them a foolish Galatians. Then he says, now who has uh, bewitched you? Who's cast the spell on you? He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, Paul is not saying here that the people who are from the churches of Galatia, that they witnessed the crucifixion. No, what Paul's saying is, how could you be deceived? How, who cast this spell on you? He says, when I was with you, I was explaining it to you so clearly. It was as though you were there. It was as though you saw it with your own eyes. And then, then he says, let me ask you only this. He says, I got one question for you. And then he goes off and asks five questions. Do you ever do that? Do you ever have any friends who do that? I just got one thing to say. A, B, C, paragraph two, sub point four, Roman numeral six. So uh, Paul here is, is he's just going to go after them. He's, 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 he sees that they're wandering away from trusting in, in, in the grace of Jesus Christ, believing uh, and, and being saved by faith. And what we're going to see is we're going to see three reasons why it's foolish not to live by faith. Because faith is the way that we receive all that God has promised to us. Here's the first thing that we receive when we live by faith. Faith is the way that we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Faith is the way that we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Verse two, let me ask you only this. Here's the first of five questions. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul is calling them back to the moment when they got saved. And when they got saved, they received the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit is inside of you fully. You don't need to ask for the Holy Spirit. God has already given it to you. As soon as a person recognizes that they are a sinner and believes that Jesus died on the cross for them and invites him to be Lord and Savior of their lives, the Spirit immediately and permanently comes to dwell inside that believer in Jesus Christ. You, 
You could come into this gym today not having the spirit living inside of you because you're not a Christian. If you place your faith in Jesus today, if you repent of your sin, which means to turn away from the way you've been living and choose to live for him and receive his forgiveness and his mercy, you will walk out of this gym today filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14 says that he's a seal and a guarantee. So does 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22. Romans 5 8 says that God has poured out his love for us in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is saying when you, when you became a Christian, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, now think back. Did you become a Christian because of works or because of faith? And it's a rhetorical question. Paul knows the answer. The church at Galatia knows the answer as well. They, they, they didn't earn the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. They didn't work for it. They simply heard the gospel and they believed. Notice that phrase, hearing with faith. Hearing with faith is how you become a Christian. You hear the message of Jesus dying on the cross for you and you place your faith in him. But it's not just how you become a Christian, it's how you go on living as a Christian. It's hearing with faith. Hearing is very, very important. Are you hearing right now what God's word is saying? Are you hearing it with faith? When those people came up on the, on the platform today and read from the word of God, you weren't simply hearing their voice, you were hearing God's voice because they were reading the word of God. We are to be hearing with faith. He goes on in verse three, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you being perfected by the flesh? That, that word perfected could mean, are you ending with? Are you finishing with the flesh, not with the spirit? So again, we receive the spirit when we're saved. That's what verse two is about. Then he says, as you continue on, you're not supposed to leave the spirit behind. Hearing with faith is, is what we're supposed to do on and on in the Christian life. Living by the power of the spirit is what we're supposed to continually do. You see, the, the church at Galatia had, had been hypnotized. They had been bewitched. Someone had cast a spell on them. They had thought that, and I've thought this in my own Christian walk too, thought that, yeah, I, I am saved by faith. I am filled by the Spirit. But then somehow we get on this program of, yeah, that was then, but this is now. And now it's up to me to show God how much I love him. He showed me how much he loved me at the cross. And he forgave me. So now I'm really going to work hard. At the cross, he gave me a second chance. I really messed up, but now I'm forgiven. And now it's up to me on my second chance to really make it on my own. The cross is not a second chance. It's a new life. It's a new way to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's completely different. But we, we all sort of trick ourselves into thinking that, oh, now I need to earn it. Now I need to do this. The, the, cross, is, the cross is behind me. No, the, no, the cross is never, we, we never move past the cross. We never move past hearing with faith. We never move past the grace of God. That is the most important thing on the day that you become a Christian. And it's the most important thing every single day that you try to live the Christian life. He says, listen, if, if you've begun by the Spirit, why are you being perfected? Why are you trying to end this thing by, by the flesh, by your own works? 
Imagine if TFC, Toronto's MLS soccer team, just miraculously acquired uh, Lionel Messi and, and Ronaldo. And so let's say they just managed to trade or sign and they have the two greatest soccer players on the earth at present are both now playing for TFC down at BMO Field. Imagine the crowds that would show up and, 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 and all of the people that would be there. And then imagine them walking out, you know, soccer players are always holding hands with a little kid. That'd always be cool to have that job. And, and, um, and, then, and then they sing the, the national anthem and then, and, and, and so they've begun and they're, they're on the roster. Messi and Ronaldo, they're on the roster. And then there they are. And then the game starts with Messi kicking the ball to Ronaldo and the game is going. And then imagine if the coach for TFC called for a substitution, and called for Messi and Ronaldo to both come out of the game. They, they started the game. There was so much enthusiasm. Everyone was cheering. It was so exciting. And then, they, and then the TFC coach says, yeah, well, we, we can take it from here. No, listen, if you have the privilege of starting the game with such an incredible pair of players, you, come, you better expect to finish the game with them. And loved ones, I'm afraid that too often we put the Holy Spirit on the bench. He's the best player on the team. He's the only player on the team. He's the only one who can bring about the kind of life that we are supposed to live. And so often we put him on the bench. We don't even put him on the roster. We put him up in the, on, the, on the press box. And Paul is saying, if you began by the Spirit, finish by the Spirit. Keep going by the Spirit. Don't stop leaning on him, relying on him. The Christian life is faith at the beginning, faith in the middle, faith at the end. The spirit at the beginning, the spirit in the middle, the spirit at the end. And the spirit's power in our lives is accessed by faith. We're saved by faith and we are living day by day, living by faith as the spirit works in us. Another question, verse four, he says, did you suffer so many things in vain? if indeed it was in vain. So he takes them from their moment of conversion when they received the Spirit. Now he's, he's reminding them, remember those difficult times you went through? Remember how God's Spirit carried you through? Remember when you, remember when you thought you had no strength left, but God gave you the grace by his Spirit to get through those hardships? He goes from the hard times, then he transitions to the, to the good times. Verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he takes them through the, through the valley of suffering and then the, the mountain peak tops where God was performing miracles in their midst. He, he appeals to them based on their own personal experience from conversion and all of the ups and downs of the Christian life. And he says, the spirit, and it's been hearing with faith. As we suffer, we've got to hear. We hear the promises of God that he's with us and we hear them with faith and that gives us the power by the spirit to get through those difficult circumstances. And when God wants to do something supernatural or miraculous, he does that by faith, not by works, I mean, think about the miracles that Jesus performed. How many times did Jesus say, your faith has made you well? He never says, your works have made you well. He never says, go in peace because your, your, your works are gonna outweigh, your good deeds are gonna outweigh your bad deeds. 
He didn't tell Peter when Peter said, when Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, can I come out to you? Jesus didn't say, well, you know, slip out of the boat and start treading water a little bit and we'll see how you do. Do a couple of laps around the fishing boat and then we'll sort of work. I want to see you do some work. He didn't tell the paralyzed man, can you try to wiggle your toes a little bit just to get started? Just, just try a little harder and then get up and walk. No, it was like, get out of the boat and into the water. Get up and pick up your mat and walk because it's by, it's by faith. It's by hearing with faith. It's not by works of the law. So he appeals to their own experience. And then what he does is he fits He fits the experience of the churches in Galatia. He fits their experience into the experience of of all of the major characters in the Bible. And he's he's going to show that God has always been working in this way. Look at verse six. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul says, you know what? Your life is the same as Abraham's life. And here's the second thing that we receive when we live by faith. Faith is the way that we receive the blessing of Abraham. He says, just as Abraham, in verse 6, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Counted as righteousness. That's what justification is means. We, we talked about that and when we were studying uh, Galatians chapter 2. We are justified by faith. And here that same phrase, he's quoting the book of Genesis there. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him. That, that means he, he was justified. It was counted to him as righteousness. And he was counted as righteous by faith, by believing. He believed God. Now this is this incredible story in Genesis chapter 15 where God had called Abraham and said he had a plan for him and Abraham still didn't have any children and God told Abraham, go outside. Look at the stars, Abraham. Start counting them. And he said, that's how many descendants you're gonna have. As many as the stars are in the sky. And it says that Abraham believed God And that it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified in that moment. Now if you look at the life of Abraham, I mean, the guy was not a righteous guy. Uh, he, He lied. He put his own wife into the arms of another man on two different occasions. He laughed at God when God laid out the actual plan of how he was going to give him all of those descendants. He laughed. He he thought the plan was ridiculous, that it was absurd. Uh, Furthermore, I mean, Abraham uh, participated in spousal sanctioned adultery with Hagar. Uh, Abraham was not a righteous man. That's why it makes it clear that that righteousness was counted to Abraham. It wasn't earned by Abraham. And so our righteousness is the same as Abraham's righteousness. We do not work for it. We receive it. By faith, Abraham believed God. You see, God has always been saving people by faith. That has always been God's plan. Uh, Take a look at at this uh, chart right here. This is how we normally understand uh, how the Bible fits together. That in in the Old Testament, God wanted to save people by works. 
And he gave them the Ten Commandments and he gave them the law. He gave Abraham some things that he needed uh, to do. And he gave Adam and Eve uh, rules uh, to follow in the garden. And God wanted to save people by works. And then all of a sudden, after the cross, things changed in the New Testament. Now, now God wants people to be saved by faith. But loved ones, that's, that's not the overarching story of the Bible. And, and that's why Paul quotes that verse from Genesis chapter 15, because Abraham believed God, he had faith, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this is actually how the Bible fits together. It's not that there used to be a time where God saved people by works and now he saves people by faith. He has always been saving people by faith. That has always been his purpose. And it's actually really clever that Paul uh, quotes uh, Genesis chapter 15 because there's, a, there's an implicit argument from chronology in this quotation. Because here's the thing. Genesis 15, it says that Abraham was declared righteous. But Abraham doesn't get circumcised until Genesis 17. And in the backdrop of the book of Galatians, sort of in the, in the, in the, in, in the general reason why Paul is writing is over this issue of circumcision. Circumcision became this flashpoint argument. Should non-Jewish Christians get circumcised in order to become Christians? And it was really just a microcosm of the macro issue. Because the bigger issue was, should non-Jewish Christians and Jewish Christians still obey all of the laws in the Old Testament? And is that how someone is saved? And so Paul here says, well listen, all of you who are saying that a Christian can't be justified unless they're circumcised. Paul is saying, well, Abraham was justified. He was counted righteous before he ever got circumcised. So it wasn't circumcision that was the result. It wasn't following the law that resulted in someone uh, becoming uh, saved by God. No, it was, it was faith. It always has been faith. Faith is plan A. Too often we think about faith as, as though it were plan B, that God really wanted to relate to people by works. And he's like, oh man, I gave them the Ten Commandments. I wrote it on tablets of stone and they're still disobeying me. Well, I guess I'll have to send Jesus to die for them. No, no, no. It wasn't plan B. It was always plan A. God's design and plan has always been to save people by faith. So that's why he says in verse seven, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. So if you're here today and you're of faith, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that he died for you, if you believe that he has made forgiveness of sins possible by dying as your substitute, then you are a son or a daughter of Abraham. Paul here lays out, he gives it's a bit of a paternity test. And how do you determine if, if you are a true descendant of Abraham? And it has nothing to do with biology. It has everything to do with belief. And, and Abraham was a man of faith. And if you're here today and you're a, a man or a woman, a young man or a young woman of faith, then you are a descendant of Abraham. Now, uh, it's not saying that uh, God no longer has a purpose or a plan for the people of Israel. But what he's making clear is that, is that 
even those who are ethnically Jewish, I mean, throughout the Old Testament, even, there are tons of, tons of people in the Bible who were descendants of Abraham, but were not people of faith, who worshiped other gods and, 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 and pursued all of these other things, and they were not saved. There, there has always been a, a, a group of people, descendants of Abraham, who still lived by faith like Abraham did. They are the true sons of Israel. And it's not that the distinction doesn't matter anymore, because in chapter 2, Paul said to Peter, we are Jews by birth, didn't he say that? And so the, the distinction is still there, but the overarching message is that salvation happens by faith. Check out verse 8, it says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify or count righteous the Gentiles, that means nations, by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. That's amazing. The gospel was preached. The good news of Jesus Christ dying on the cross was preached ahead of time to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. That's a quotation from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God's plan has always been to spread the blessing of Abraham that comes not by biology, that comes not by works of the law, spreading the blessing of Abraham that comes by faith all around the world. Look around this room right now. It has been spread all around the world. Look at the different ethnicities and cultures that are represented right now at this church. This is a fulfillment of the promise, the gospel that was preached beforehand in Genesis 12. And God has spread his blessing all over the world and continues to do that. And that is why we're still here and why we haven't all gone to be with him. Because he has sent us on a mission, which is right here on our banner, to go and to make disciples of all nations. So that when we go out and share the gospel with our neighbor, or when we go overseas and share the gospel with an unreached people group, we are spreading the blessing of Abraham. We are telling people that they can be saved by faith. This is how God has always wanted it to be. So he sums up in verse nine, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Faith is the way that we receive the Holy Spirit. Faith is the way that we receive the blessing that was promised to Abraham. And then lastly, faith is the way that we receive freedom from the curse. Faith is the way that we receive freedom from the curse. Now Paul's going to argue from the flip side. So he's been talking about the benefits of faith. Now he's going to talk about the consequences of not living by faith. You see, it's not just as simple as, you know, your, it's, it's, you know, your cell phone doesn't work that well if it's connected to a cord or that you, you won't get there uh, uh, that fast if you have a team of horses pull your, pull your minivan. It's not simply that to live by works instead of faith. It's not just that it's frustrating or that it's inefficient. It's not just that, that, that it's kind of cumbersome and awkward. No, the, the, the stakes are far higher than that. When we choose to live by works rather than faith, we are inviting a curse into our lives. Verse 10 says, for all who rely on the works of the law 
are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's one of the scariest verses in the Bible. And the scariest word of that verse is the word all. You might be here today and you think, you know what, I'm just trying to be a good person. And I mean, uh, nobody's perfect, but, but I'm just trying to be good. Well, well, good is not good enough. It says here, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. So unless you are able to perfectly obey every single command written in the Bible, then you are under a curse. And I know for sure that no one can do that. Only one person has ever done that, and his name is Jesus, and he's the one who sets us free from that curse. Verse 10 there, he's quoting uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27, and that's uh, Moses is about to die, the people are about to go into the promised land, and Moses has the people um, stand on two different mountains, and Moses gives his final sermon series. And on one mountain, he has these people, he proclaims a blessing. And on another mountain, he proclaims a curse. And the blessing comes to all those who obey and all those who live by faith. And the curse goes on all those who disobey. And, and Paul here is saying that if we, if we choose to live by the law, we are standing on that cursed mountain. We are identifying with, with those who are trying trying to live by the law, but simply cannot do it. He goes on in verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified, which means counted righteous. No one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. That's another Old Testament quotation. He quotes uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 5. And then he contrasts Habakkuk 2.5 with Leviticus 18, which he quotes in the, in the next verse. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So let's read those two verses together. We've got a quotation from Habakkuk, a quotation from Leviticus. Verse 11 and 12, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Notice how both of these verses that he's quoting have the word live. Habakkuk says the righteous shall live and the source of their life will be faith. They shall live by faith. And then Leviticus 18 says those who live, those who, uh, uh, sorry, uh, the, the one who does them shall live by them. So there's one group of people who are righteous and they live by faith. There's another group of people who are doing the word of God, obeying the law, and they will live according to the law. But the implication here is this, that if you follow the law and that results in life, what happens if you don't follow the law? If you, if you live when you follow the law, then the implication is you die if you fail to follow the law. And so Paul is just compounding verse after verse, Old Testament scripture, fitting it all together to show that there is no hope for the person 
who simply tries to follow the law. And he's already, he's already referenced Abraham. That's always been God's plan. It's always been his plan to save people by faith. And Habakkuk confirms that. The righteous will live by faith. And those who try to follow the law will die because no one fully can. And so Paul is laying out the bad news. So now that he can proclaim the good news. The bad news is we've all broken the law and the consequence, the wages of sin is death. Now look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You see, all of us are under this curse. All of us deserve to die because we've all broken God's law. And God's law comes at us from the the Ten Commandments. It comes at us from our own conscience. We've all broken God's law. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Christ redeemed us. That word redemption, that's what this series is all about. It means to set someone free. We're all under this curse. We all have the death penalty. But Christ died instead of us. And he redeemed by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Another quotation from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21, 23. Cursed is everyone who is hanged by a tree. Now, I learned a lot when I was studying for this message. And when I studied this verse, I learned something I I had no clue about. I always thought that Deuteronomy 21, 23, and, and, and this verse here in Galatians was referring to, you know, Um, the practice of executing someone by hanging, you know, like a rope and a noose, uh, that sort of thing. Um, But that's not what's being described in Deuteronomy 21. What's being described in Deuteronomy 21 is if a criminal breaks the law and it's a law that's punishable by death, they weren't to simply be executed and then buried. They were to be executed and then they were to be hanged on a tree or on a large wooden post to serve as a warning. It's, it's kind of horrific. It's kind of gruesome when you think about it. But the idea was that the sight of that criminal and, and the way and, and them um, bearing the penalty that they deserve for their sin was, was, to, was to tell people or warn people, put an impact on their, on their, on their conscience that I, I'm never going to do that because that's what will happen to me if I do what they did. And it was a way to sort of prevent sin and lawlessness of of growing in the uh, community. So that's what what the curse is, that, that someone who was hanged up on a tree is someone who had broken the law so severely, punishable by death. And then, Several centuries later, the Romans came up with this this method of execution that actually used the hanging on a post or hanging on a tree as the means by which you warn the community and by which you execute the criminal. It was called crucifixion, and that's how Christ suffered and died. And so the Romans used crucifixion for the same purpose, not not only just to warn the community that this is what will happen to you if you break our law, but also to inflict suffering and anguish on the criminal as well. So when it says that Christ became a curse for us and when Christ 
hung on the tree for us or on, on a wooden post or on the cross for us. When Christ was on the cross, it wasn't showing the seriousness of his sin. It was showing the seriousness of ours. Because when you read the Old Testament law, there were only a few laws that were punishable by death, by physical death, that the the elders, the leaders in the community actually needed to enforce capital punishment. There were only a few laws that were punishable by death, physical death, but all of the laws resulted in spiritual death, the death that comes after this death. You see, Sin is a big deal. And what the cross does for us as Christians, it reminds us of the seriousness of our sin. What so often people are afraid of when we preach grace and when we spread this idea of forgiveness is, well, does that just mean I can live however I want? No, it doesn't. Because when you truly believe in Jesus, you understand that he became a curse for you. That him hanging on the cross showed the seriousness of our sin. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. I mean, sin is serious. A couple of bites of an apple resulted in Adam and Eve beginning the first day of the rest of their life, which ended in death. They were evicted from the Garden of Eden. The entire ecosystem known as planet Earth was changed forever. Thorns and thistles started to grow. And and the way everything in the world worked fundamentally changed from a couple of bites from a piece of fruit. A sin is serious, and the cross reminds us how serious sin is. And when the Romans who invented crucifixion and who had no real idea what they were doing when they were hammering the nails into the wrists and the feet of our Savior, as they're mocking him and ridiculing him, they took whatever they could find to put a crown on his head to say, oh, he thought he was the king of Jews. But what they chose to use, they, they used the sign of the curse. They went to the ground, the ground that had been cursed because of one sin committed by Adam and Eve. And they they took those thorns and formed it together in a crown and placed it on Jesus' head, not knowing that what they were doing was, was fulfilling Christ's purpose to become a curse for us. To be this gruesome spectacle, not as a reminder of his sin, but of our sin. Not as a warning that we should not behave that way, but as an invitation and an offering for life-transforming grace and forgiveness and mercy. Not to just give us a second chance, but to give us a whole new Life because he didn't stay on that cross. He was buried and then three days later he raised and we can say I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. You see when the cross is at the center I hope you can pick up on what Paul is doing here. He started with their own experience then he started to talk about Abraham and then he talks about Jesus Christ 
and him crucified because nothing can overcome the curse but the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's the cross that reminds us that we are saved by faith. So in verse 14, as he's tying all of these things together, notice he's gonna mention faith, he's gonna mention the spirit, he's gonna mention the blessing of Abraham, he says, so that in Christ Jesus, in his death, in his suffering for us, in his resurrection, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, the nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the eighth time that Paul has used the word faith in this passage of scripture that we studied. With faith, of faith, by faith, and lastly, through faith. It's faith that enables us to be indwelled by the spirit so that we can fight sin. It's faith that allows us to experience the blessing of Abraham and be part of God's plan from all of human history. And it's faith that sets us free from the curse. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We thank you for this word that you have given to us, this living and active word. And God, I pray I pray for anyone right now who is thinking that they're just trying to live their life as a good person in hopes that that's good enough to receive eternal life, God. I pray that they would see the cross of Jesus Christ and the seriousness of their sin. So God, I pray that no one would be in this place in denial of their sin. But God, I also pray that no one in this place would be in despair over their sin. Because Jesus, you said it is finished. And it is. You have set us free. And there is no longer a curse on us. There is a blessing. The blessing of Abraham. The blessing that is available to all of the nations. And so God we pray that you would help us to live by that. And to embrace that by the power of your spirit. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.